I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Aquí todo se vale. Perreo como anormales. Es que la rumba está buena, rota en las botellas, todo el mundo perreando. Como dice Don Dale. Hello and welcome to They Might Be Mariners Lookout Landings Prospects Focused Podcast. I am your host, John Troopin, Deputy Managing Editor at LookoutLanding.com. It's been far too long. There are not enough minor leagues happening uh, and we have Really missed coming to you guys with some prospects-focused content, uh, but today we are rectifying that. I have two fabulous co-hosts here. Uh, we have Kate Pruser, managing editor of Lookout Landing. Uh, Kate, how how has your prospects sort of dearth, minor leagues dearth, been feeling uh, that as we get sort of into the later parts of the season here? Not fun, not fun. It has been not fun. Um, It's been very frustrating also to be kind of closed out from Tacoma just because, and I know it's like the, there are only so many spots to have, and one of them is taken up pretty consistently with Jen Mueller, and you know, that's important, but it's just, it's been really frustrating to not get a picture of what's going on there pretty, like, in depth day in day out like it's very cool to see the highlights and stuff but like um it's been frustrating not to have an analyst on site who's like this this pitcher is using this pitch this is what brandon williamson's curveball looks like right now like this is yeah so that that part has been yeah frustrating to just be denied even that little 
that little little bit. So I'm hoping we have a um, we've heard that clubs have been okayed to go through for instructional league, and I don't know where that'll be. If that'll be in Arizona, or if that'll be at Tacoma. Um, I saw on Instagram that some of our pitchers, Penn Murphy and Ian McKinney, some of our upper level uh, minor league pitchers who were not selected for the taxi squad ha are in Tacoma now. So I don't know if that's like setting up for instructional league or what, but hopefully we'll have some of that. And we're going to get to talk to you today about the uh, perfect game, all American classic, which is a summer tradition, something I look forward to every year. And, um, was a really nice little bit of normalcy in an otherwise pretty decimated prospect watching season. Absolutely. So to help us cover uh, the perfect game, all American game, as well as all of our minor league uh, and, and prospects related content, we also have uh, lookout landing staff writer, Joe Doyle. Uh, Joe, uh, what, uh, what, was there any sort of feeling of like, you know, salt like sorrow that you had? I know the last day of the minor league season was, uh, or like the usual minor league season was a few days ago. Uh, did you did you feel just kind of like a cool chill on the back of your neck when you woke up that morning? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a difficult year not having any minor league baseball. I mean, that's certainly my bread and butter, and I know it's a lot of uh, the writers here at Lookout Landing and a lot of our readers' bread and butter. So. You know, not having that backbone uh, to write about and to watch and to track throughout the year has been challenging. But, um, you know, like like Kate said, uh, we do have instructional leagues um, that are going to be opening here. I, I would presume Seattle is going to participate in that just with how, um, you know, focused in they are on the player development side of things. So those will start up September 18th. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully we get a little bit more insight into how these kids are developing over that time. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess in the in in the stead of everything, I've, I've really been pouring all my energy into the uh, 2021 MLB draft. And like Kate was saying, the uh, Perfect Game All-American Classic was uh, a very entertaining and insightful experience last week. Yeah, so... What we're going to talk about this episode, uh, we're going to talk about the All-American game. We got uh, a lot of listener questions, so we're, we're mostly going to be leaning on that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the state of the Mariners system right now, a uh, little bit maybe even about some of the trades uh, since we talked about that. We had uh, some good discussion on that uh, for the Lookout Landing podcast, but uh, we can touch on that here as well. Um, and then... Uh, Perhaps even just uh, some some general 2021 draft talk and draft strategy, uh, since uh, Joe in particular has been doing his weekly uh, draft profiles, which are absolutely fabulous, and you should go check out. You know, looking at some of the top prospects that, whether they're Mariners, which they might be, uh, I've heard, uh, or uh, whether they're going to go somewhere else and potentially cause a ruckus, you, you can get a sense of them uh, ahead of time. But uh, I do want to point out, uh, we got a good question from uh, Will at Lone Outlaw on Twitter. Uh, why are we talking about the top of the draft when we're winning out and making the playoffs? Um, <laughs> I so, appreciate that. I appreciate you, Lone Outlaw. Yeah, I mean, what I, what I would like to start off here with 
in that vein, and, and and I would you know maybe a little positive, maybe a little negative on this, but the Mariners, you know, are as we record this two games out of two different you know avenues to the playoffs. They pr- almost certainly won't make it. They probably shouldn't make it. Not in a it would be a bad decision, but like are they deserving? Who knows? But the fact that this is even a conversation, the fact that they are hovering close to 500 now. Um, really, I mean, it is a lot of young guys. It's Kyle Seeger, obviously. You know, God love him. But it is a lot I'll of... Hail, I'll hail <laughs> hot Kyle Seeger. I really feel like a lot has been unlocked by that scruffy little beard. Yeah, yeah. It, it's actually somehow made him more aerodynamic. Um, <laughs> weirdly, yeah. We're trying to yeah, get he's some... A, he's our a best... beast-stealing threat. Yeah, yeah. Um, Austin Nola injected something into him, man. Those oh. quarantine beards. <laughs> the handsomeness. Austin Nola was mm-hmm. also very handsome. I miss yeah. his face. I'm yeah. watching him succeed with the Padres. I'm very happy for him, but man, I miss that face. Uh, yeah, no I mean he looks he looks good in those Padres unis, so I'm I'm happy oh, for him at doesn't? least. I mean that's true. But what I would love to hear from y'all, um, and maybe Joe, let's we'll hear from you first. Uh, is there a prospect, and, and when we're talking about prospect at this point, we're talking sort of in a broader sense, you know, Kyle Lewis, uh, guys who were sort of started the season as rookie eligible, prospect eligible, quote unquote, players. Uh, is there one of the, is there a prospect on the Mariners who has most significantly changed your evaluation of them or opinion of them uh, through this year? So I'm going to give a pitcher and I'm going to give a hitter because there's two guys that really jump to mind right away. The first one is Anthony Misevich. Um, I had all but written him off Mm -hmm. as... You stole my answer. I'm sorry, Kate. (laughs) I'm sorry. You can can double down on it. Um, I had all but written him off because I didn't believe in the curveball. More specifically, I didn't believe in the curveball as it worked as a starting pitcher. But, and you know, he was 89 to 91, touching 92 uh, in Tacoma over five or six innings. So the fact that he's come up, he's, you know, bumping 95, 96 yeah, at times. Yeah, what the hell happened? What, I, what, I tell what you, what that's happened? what I'm saying. You, you, take feel... guys, you take guys out of these 80 or 90 pitch outings and you say, hey, go give me everything that you've got for 25 or 30. And all of a sudden, you know, you got Southpaw Edwin Diaz up there. Throwing, okay, you know, okay, throwing okay, gas. That far, but. but you know what I mean. Anyways, so but yeah, no, he it's, comes it's up, a huge velo jump. Bumping fives and sixes, throwing banger plus curveballs, and he's worked in a nice little 89 mile an hour cutter that really, I think he kind of leans on as his primary, uh, a la uh, Marco all, Gonzalez. All, it must be said, while sweating, like the most profusely, just streams. Yeah rivers yeah even the- my mom who does not follow baseball that closely is not that much of an analyst he came on the screen and she was like why is he so sweaty it's it's as though he recognized Taylor Gilbo was going to hit the IL and was like, well, I can't grow my hair out quickly enough to be the new like wet guy, but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put all my effort into oh, the other sweat production. <laughs> gonna hypercharge these glands up. Anywho, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, Masevich has turned into one of my favorite relievers, and I'm glad that they didn't flip him at the deadline because he, he feels like the type of lefty reliever that can, you know, be an important part of this bullpen for four or five years. And uh, I'm excited to, you know, see if he can keep his production uh, over that span because, you know, it the Mariners are going to have to spend on bullpen pieces here, and it's nice to be able to potentially find one that you probably didn't expect to be one in Misevich. So excited by that. Um, on the hitting side, and I hope I'm not stealing anyone else's here because it's just such a slam dunk. It's got to be Dylan Moore. I know he didn't have rookie status, but when we saw him last year, he was showing us glimpses. Like he, he only hit like 208 or something like that, but every home run, all six or whatever of his home runs were hit like 415 feet. And Every home run he hits this year is like 420, 425 feet. It's amazing the amount of power that that guy can produce. And while I have publicly come out in the past saying I'm so done with these utility, versatile guys that can play all over the field, I'm retracting half of that statement and saying I'm done because we have one that is really, really, really good. (laughs) And that's Dylan Moore. And I am... I'm almost grateful that he was hurt during the trade deadline because I think moving him we would have gotten pennies on the dollar. I think he's a I think he's going to be a really big part of this team's future. You all know that I love some some Dylan Moore, obviously. Um so his success to me feels just because I've been marveling over it for so long, like I feel like I have a hand in it as well. It's you and me together, Dylan. I've believed in you from day one. I'm going to need uh, Joey Gerber to really go off then because <laughs> I, I need that energy. <laughs> it it does it does feel pretty satisfying, although I can't believe I never missed his, like, I never saw his weird Fred Flintstone way of getting out of the box until somebody pointed it out, until I think the Cespedes BBQ guys pointed yeah. it out. Like, he really does do the... He is at a 45-degree <laughs> angle. Like, he is like... Yep, da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it is he's, wild. He's got some happy feet. Um, for which I've decided, going with the Flintstones thing, we should call him Bam Bam, which even though I know is a beloved nickname of, of uh, Cam Chancellor... Dylan, I love that. B- Bam Bam from the Flintstones, if you are, I don't know, under the age of 30, is the child of Barney Rubble and he is super strong like he's very tiny he's a tiny baby but he's very super strong and he's got this huge club that he just bam bam and that I feel like is the Dylan Moore experience um yeah I mean actually Ryan Blake one of the commenters on our site has been tracking really carefully like where the Mariners are swinging this year he's done a lot with like uh, the heart, which is the middle of the plate, the shadow, which is like kind of that area just outside kind of the edges, and then chase or waste, which is outside of that. Um, and noted that the Mariners at a t- as a team are really good at swinging only at stuff that is in the heart or maybe in the shadow. And that is what Dylan Moore has done this year. Is he's just really cut down the amount of chase pitches that he's gone after and cut down his strikeout numbers and is laying off uh, pitches he can't hit, namely breaking balls, not trying to do anything with them, work the count so he can get a fastball so he can do damage on that. It's just a really smart plate approach. Um, It's obviously well coached. And for me, this is really important because to me it's a huge 
I know we've been concerned about the hitting development. I know that Jared DeHart, the uh, hitting coordinator, is very well respected by lots of players. Players see him as a visionary, like a front runner. Uh, they want to work with him. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I know that he has that reputation among players. I was worried about how we were seeing it play out, and it really seems like if Dylan Moore is for real, if Austin Nola is for real, which the Padres fans are so happy to have him, mm -hmm. uh, it, it certainly feels like Austin Nola is for real. I think you have to count both of them as big developmental successes. I'm excited to see what the next one is. I really hope it's Taylor Trammell. I love him, and I just love him as a person, and I really want him to be successful here. So that's my, like... When we do a future episode of this, I hope I'm talking about Taylor Trammell. But right now, yeah, it's hard not to focus on Dylan Moore and, and what yeah. he's doing. John, hey, really quickly, I want to add something just, just to this narrative yeah. in terms of, you know, the, the original question of, of why are we talking about the top of the draft when we're winning and making the playoffs. One thing that I don't think is getting enough press in the Mariners community is while they may be creeping away from the number one pick in the draft and you know they you know even the most pessimistic folks will say well they're not going to make the playoffs so why are they winning I think it's important to note that if this team is even close to the playoffs if they miss the playoffs by three games or four games or whatever it is um, that's what Jerry DePoto needs to take to ownership in order to spend so you know, I think we were all kind of thinking they're not going to spend this offseason. They're probably going to spend after 2021. Well, if they barely miss the playoffs or if they make the playoffs, um, you could see, you know, Jerry DePoto spend some of that cash earlier, sooner rather than later. And that's important because this upcoming free agent class has some very tantalizing targets in it that maybe aren't in the next year's class. Yeah, or at least you wouldn't be confident we'll make it to free agency, which is, right. you know, as much of, you know, like, yes, there's a lot of ballyhooing about Francisco Lindor or Corey Seager making it to free agency, but, like, will they actually? Will they get traded somewhere and extended? Like, you know, Mookie Betts was supposed to be the big free agent uh, and, like, didn't make it. Um, so, yeah, you, you can't, you know, don't don't get too far out over your skis on, on free agent options. Uh, in in the future there. Uh, okay, yeah. So we got a good question from Stan at Mainers Pain Love, which uh, you know I got some questions there, but um, the question from Stan is: <laughs> Is he is he pained by being in Maine? It seems the pain challenging. Maine the pain is my false Maine. Yeah, it's very possible. Uh, that's what I've heard. Um, so Stan, sorry, Stan, uh, asks key free agents, mar free agent or free agents, Mariners need to sign that will bolster their roster but not break the bank. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys have gone too in depth on this. I know just off the top of my head. The player that I have been thinking about the most um, with regards to the Mariners' current roster is JT Realmuto, um, who obviously would be expensive, but mm -hmm. not you know as a mid mid age catcher, so to speak, who is very good, but also 
probably isn't going to get like a 10-year deal. Could very well get, you know, what Yasmani Grandal got or something like that. You know, even if it's like five years, 100 million kind of thing, something in that uh, range or or even something slightly less. Um, that is a place where, you know, suddenly you're you're filling in what is maybe a hole with a really steady contributor on both sides of the ball. Do you guys have people that, that stand out for you as, as someone you'd like to see them target theoretically? I love that idea. I mean, obviously I would love Francisco Lindor to be a Mariner just because I love Francisco Lindor. I love his smile. I love everything about him. I love the way he plays the game. I love his joy. I love uh, his Puerto Rican-ness because I love seeing Puerto Rican representation in the game. Um, I just love him from head to toe, everything about him. Yes. I believe Lindor is 20 after 2020. Yeah. I believe there's I mean, one more. I, I assume that that would come, you know, via trade. I don't think that the, I don't think Cleveland's going to keep him. I don't think they're going to yes, pay for I think, him. Yes, I think you're right. Uh, so I think he's a realistic target. I don't know what I'd want to give up to get him either. And also, even though he's struggling to hit, I love watching J.P. Crawford play shortstop. So, and that feeling has only intensified over this year. And just watching him and Evan White work together. And, um, oof, yeah, so even though that is like a little bit of the desire of my heart, I recognize that it is not probably realistic. I think absolutely you're right. Real Muto is if there's any way we can convince him that Seattle is the place for him to be Mm. and not South Alaska. um, (laughs) I, I love Cal Raleigh, you know, I'm a big Mm. Cal Raleigh stand, but um, let Cal Raleigh push himself into it. Yeah, exactly. He's lost this year of development. Um, You know, I just, I, the Terenz Hudson battery, if the Mariners don't make the playoffs, like the lack of production at the catcher spot has to be something that. And then you're turning to Tom Murphy, who absolutely was exceptional, you know, last year, but also had, no shortage of question marks about, yeah. you know, whether his bat would actually stay at that level. You know, he had I think, some questions. You have to you know. wonder if he's, um, is he the Dylan Moore, Austin Nola success story? That is this success train that's just going to, you know, is he going to mm. do the Dylan Moore where he cuts down the strikeouts? He's well, now lost he a year where he could have been working on that. I mean, even if he didn't, Tom Murphy was like a top four catcher in baseball last year. So... I mean, totally. He, he had a, he, also, he had a massive year, and I think we would all agree that he is a pretty enormous candidate for regression. Like, yeah, all things considered, I we all like Tom Murphy, but he also career yeared it after yeah. Seattle picked him up for nothing. So I I agree with you, John. Joe, is there anyone that stands out for you in, in free agency in in particular? Yeah, uh, this winter. Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely going to want to go after bullpen help. And the first guy that comes to mind for me would be Garrett Richards, former Angel, now Padre, like nastiest stuff in the league, crazy high spin rates. Um, I think he's done as a starting pitcher personally, but you throw that guy and his stuff in a bullpen, and I think uh, he immediately becomes an eighth inning guy. Um, And then the other one that I think would be – a fun cheap flyer maybe on like a one-year deal would be jock peterson um i I don't know he he Hmm, is having a terrible year he's having a terrible year 
and he's probably a first uh, first baseman or DH or like left fielder in a stretch. But um, like I just envision him being what everyone wanted Daniel Vogelbach to be, except with a little positional versatility. So I think he'd be a nice addition to the lineup. Any cheap? That, yeah. No, I think the, I think those are some good options there. You know, there are some. The, I think the Mariners could use, though it's not, I mean, some of their their impressive outperformance this year, not outperformance, but surprisingly solid performance this year has come from a rotation that has been sharper, you know, that Nick Margavichus has been a dependable, you know, starter that, uh, you know, you say Kikuchi has bounced back, that Marco Gonzalez has continued to be solid with even improved peripherals. Uh, Justice Sheffield has looked really solid. So um, at the same time, you know, if there was like a real strong starting pitcher group, that would be something I'd be very interested for the Mariners to kind of get that John Lester uh, type signing. But I don't feel great about the group of pitchers that are there. Um, and I like the group of pitchers the Mariners have already enough that I would I would rather see the internal options sort of Agreed. progress, and then you fill that in maybe the year after or in a trade. Um, yeah, that, that's that's sort of where I'm at on that. So I, I think those are good good ways to go. Um, what yeah. I don't want them spending money on, what I will absolutely pitch a fit about, is another like two year. 10 to 20 million dollar contract for Mark Zipchinski, Juan Nicasio. Mm. And I hope we have, I hope no more, no more middle tier relievers. Society has progressed past the need for middle tier <laughs> relievers. Would you, the close the, would you close the door on that exact same deal? Like for me, like two years, 12 or two years, 14 million for Blake Trinan. Like I would do that. I would do two years, 12 year, uh, two years 12 million for Garrett Richards like kind of mm. how how would you how would you mm. define Garrett Richards health well yeah but he'd be a reliever I mean I don't want him as a starter I don't want anything th- the angels have touched <laughs> that's a fair I, I think, which unfortunately at this point is like literally everyone yeah. because I think they just... I, yeah. I think Trinan's an interesting target there because I think the the closer comp for him because like Kate I fully agree like the i think we have progressed as a i'm hoping the mariners generally as a front office and whatnot have progressed past the desire for externally acquired loogies um and it seems like we're getting less of that like we've got more okay this guy can be a long reliever but it's you know even nestor cortez who has obviously got shellacked and then hurt but like that's still a more interesting and cheaper and embarrassed can we also point out that he got embarrassed because he tried to play with timing against Pujols and Pujols was like what are you doing little boy and smacked yeah but um but but Trinan as maybe even a Juan Nicasio sort of comparison where it's like okay in theory you're going for someone who should be and has a track record of being a really good uh, reliever for multiple years. And yeah, Trinan had the bad year in 2019. He's looked different, but good this year. Um, so I don't know about that, but yeah, I, I would not hate like one instead of Yoshihisa Hirano or Carl Edwards Jr. 
you know, shorter but more impactful potentially signing of that sort. Because, you know, even if they're good and the team's bad, you can look into trading someone like that. And if they're not good, you know, that's not the end of the world. Um, oh, Joe, sorry, you were going to say something. No, I mean, I clicked the unmute button and then I muted myself again. I don't know. I've been, I just wanted to, I guess, spew what I've been thinking over the last couple of days. And that is the idea of the Mariners having Johan Ramirez, Kendall Graveman, and Andres Munoz in the bullpen is just like super fun. <laughs> like that's so much velo. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. so nasty. That's so much velo. Andres Munoz is throwing again too. I posted and he posted an Instagram. I retweeted it um, or I screen captured it and t- tweeted it. Um, but it's exciting to see that. And, and Harrison Batista exists. Oh, oh that's right. Maybe yeah, you that's, forgot. Yeah. That's like yeah. four maybe guys that throw 97. Yeah. Plus we've got, you know, Gerber already there and uh, whoever else is coming up. So. <laughs> and at some, point, at some point, Della Plain <laughs> hopefully is, is yep. in, in position to do, you know, what Warren, he's been doing. I don't know where Warren is. Does it arm he's there. I saw him pitching. Yeah. In, I saw him pitching in the, in the um, like, intra-squad game the other day. Mm-hmm. I just think the velo is down. It's, it was down in spring training or, or summer yeah, camp or whatever. So was. they're probably just building it up. Yeah, but you know, I mean, that's that's kind of what you want as in this sort of situation where you have a lot of options that you can draw on. So it's not, you know, you're not filling out your roster with as many sort of Chase and Bradford's random guys you're picking up. So that you know, this time next year, Walter Lockett and Casey Sadler aren't kind of the random guys you're going to be putting in at any, you know. Is Brady Lale still in their bullpen at the moment? I don't even know if Brady Lale knows if he's yes. in the bullpen. I okay. think I think did he go on the DL maybe? Or it, the could IL? Be. it could be. The, essentially just, you know, I think they're in a position now where yes, they'll they'll probably be back to twenty six players next year, which is also worth noting. Um, but it, it they should have the depth and breadth to basically turn a couple of those minimum veteran signings into higher cost veteran signings and, and a little bit more reliable veteran signings. Um, so that is that is encouraging there. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, okay, well, let's. Uh... Let's take a quick turn towards the 
perfect game, all American game. And we can perhaps we can finish up with a, a couple more questions because we got some some good ones about the M's right now. But uh, I want to hear uh, essentially what really stood out. So we got a question from uh, Brian at uh, a PLR to be named L8R. So a player to be named later on Twitter. Excellently done. Um, they, they had a couple questions. Basically, who had the most impressive batting practice at the perfect game, All-American game? Uh, and then who had the highest graded of any pitch at the perfect game all American game, or, or just the most impressive pitch for, for either of you guys. And, and in this, I, for folks who maybe don't know, just like a quick, what is the perfect game all American game? Where is the perfect game all American? Who all gets to go to the perfect game all American game? Um, yeah. Uh, go for it, Joe. So, defining the event, um, the Perfect Game All-American Game is a... Uh, All-American Classic. It's an All-American Classic. Perfect Game All-American Classic. PGAC. It's basically a showcase, it's an elite showcase event that culminates from all of the regional Perfect Game events that have taken place over the last, essentially, four years for these players working their way up from 13U events. And it is the best of the best. It's the top... 50-ish players, top 40 or 50-ish players in the entire country that, that perfect game selects. So that's, you know, their opinion of the best players. Um, takes place, well, it takes place, um, it usually takes place in San Diego uh, at Petco Park. This year, because of uh, everything that's going on in the world, it was moved to Oklahoma City. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the, the showcase event is only for brand new high school seniors so folks that are just starting their senior year of high school and will be draft eligible in the very next year so 2021 um as far as the questions themselves go the the most impressive batting practice is is for my money is is a kid from uh from i think he's from new jersey his name is joshua baez uh he's got legitimate raw plus plus power maybe elite 80 grade power um he's a 60 runner which means he's you know he's every bit the runner that jared kelnick is for example um he's got a 70 arm out in right field he throws 97 off the mound um he's a physical freak he's he's an absolute physical freak and as far as batting practice goes uh he puts on some of the most prodigious displays of power in the draft. Um, as a quick aside, they, they had a, a home run derby before the actual game started itself, and Benny Montgomery, uh, who is a, you know, Kate's a big fan of Benny Montgomery, um, really quirky guy, did a Borat impression before the game, uh, just a big personality. Uh, he actually won the home run derby. He hit 14 home runs, uh, I, I believe six with a wooden bat, and then he hit eight with a metal bat, so... Uh, Benny Montgomery and Joshua Baez certainly had the most impressive, loudest uh, batting practices. And then as far as the best pitch goes or what graded out as the nastiest pitch, I think pretty much everyone is in agreement right now that, well, it's between two, but jo uh, Jackson Job's slider is is a 70-grade slider. It, it comes in at 3,200 RPMs, which is absolutely unheard of. It's elite of the elite in Major League Baseball. And there's only been one guy um, 
Carter Stewart from uh, three or four years ago, who was the sixth or seventh overall pick, that's thrown a ball that has that sort of a spin rate in a perfect game event. So uh, he also throws 94 to 96 off the mound. Uh, he's been a huge riser on draft boards this summer. Um, hell, he started out this summer as a shortstop, and now he's a pretty legit six foot two, uh, 200 pound starting pitching prospect. Also got a change up. Um, so he's in first round contention right now, but uh, Kate, I'll kind of swing it over to you and kind of give me your impressions of, of those two questions. Um, I mean, those are objective questions, right? Like, who had the loudest power? Who had the yeah, yeah, for nastiest? Sure. So well, I you could have like a Tony Gwynn VP, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm going to hit it between short and third, right? Like, you know, I don't know. If, if there was someone whose hands or, you know, things really, really stood out to you in that way, I suppose. Um, all right, yeah. So a quieter, quieter overall skill set, but maybe... Um, when I think of hands, and I think of the best hands in the class, um, I might go with, uh, what's his name? Wood. What's his first name? James. James Wood, yes. I keep calling him Ed Wood, which is incorrect, because uh, that's a movie. But he is 6'6". He is huge. Like, he just, he looks, he's got these long, long legs, um, and you would think that he would like maybe just kind of be a mess up there because he's got these huge long levers and how do you make them all work at the same time? But he has really clearly been coached very well because he's really good at making his hands work, getting them down, being short to the ball despite the super long levers. Um, and I just thought that he, I've, I'm also basing this a little off, um, we watched the Perfect Game Natu National Showcase, and we have a write-up of that on the site, and we will have a write-up of this sooner or later. Um, you can kind of look at, like, so I'm aggregating this a little bit based off of what I saw there and what I saw here. Uh, and Ed, uh, James, James Wood, I will stop calling you Ed Wood, I promise, has always impressed me with, like, not only the raw physical ability, the frame, but also he has good takes. He has an advanced plate approach. And so that really sticks out to me. And then also Dalen Lyle sticks out for the same reason. He's an outfielder uh, from Kentucky. Very, I think, so when we're talking about my particular, so this isn't just like objective, loudest, whatever, you know, um, this is just players I enjoy watching and I enjoy watching Dalen Lyle take I enjoy watching his plate appearances because he's super patient. He's very selective. He doesn't chase. He makes a ton of contact. He's a really hard out. I thought he put up some of the best plate appearances at a perfect game. Yeah. So, in, in a class that, in a class that's really lacking in like a Robert Hassel or, yeah. you know, like a, who was like my boy? That was my boy. Yeah, I mean, that, that pure, like Jared Kilnick, like a pure hit tool, a polished hit tool. This class doesn't, with maybe the exception of, there's a couple shortstops at the top that I'm sure we'll talk about, but uh, with, Dalen Lyle might have the most polished hit tool in this class, and he doesn't have the arm, he's not the fastest guy in the world, he's definitely a corner outfielder, so it, I mean, you'll probably be able to have him in, in the second or third round, but that's a really good name because... Uh, yeah, he's he's just a pro at the plate. Yeah, 
I love that. Um, there are definitely players who I favor more heavily, but as far as like what my what my, what scratches my specific inch is uh, is that, and then um, for pitching the the pitcher who stood out to me the most was Andrew Painter, who I think is somebody who we're going to talk about because um, he's another one of the big names of the class. He's six seven. Uh, he's topping out at 96. So he doesn't maybe have like the pure burning velocity of some of the other guys, but he has a really easy delivery. I think he's really smart on the mound. He's got some breaking stuff. Uh, he knows how to mix his pitches. He can hold his velocity out of the stretch. Like it's not a one-time deal. I was... He was not so much on my radar, even though he was someone I had heard about. There were other pitchers I liked better, but... He, I thought he really shined in this event. So those were a couple of my favorites. Excellent. Um, so here we got a question about uh, one of the top prospects uh, to this point in the class. Um, and this is, uh, well, actually a, a good question about um, the way that the limited visibility, especially for preps uh, can you know really throttle down what you get to see as an analyst and even teams who have more data have more scouts have more options aren't necessarily getting all that much more um so we got a question from brian uh player to be named later uh have brady house's projections changed is this a blip or were early evaluations incorrect that's a really good question uh, i think so here's how I would sum up Brady House. Um, let's, let's, yeah, we're going to give people background on yeah. who Brady House is, right? Yeah, okay. Brady House is, and I, I really cannot stress this enough, he is a generational, like, like freakish athlete. Like I will say, I had, Brady House wasn't super on my radar from the, from the PG uh, showcase, which I went into without having read a single draft ranking like I didn't I knew a couple names but I didn't really know anyone that was my first encounter with this class um and when I saw Brady House at this event I audibly said oh my god yeah no <laughs> that's that's pretty much insane it. <laughs> looking he's insane looking yeah he looks like a movie star who's playing baseball, but he's also a really good baseball. He's huge. He's like this golden god looking thing. He's insane looking. Yeah. He is uh, six foot three, 210 pounds. And I would be willing to, and he's barrel chested as all hell. Um, I'd be willing to put pretty good money that he's like sub 8% body fat. He is, he, he's a freak. And I mean, l let me just tell you the amount of, the things that he does with his body from a scouting perspective, the amount of separation that he gets from his hips to his shoulders is unlike things that you see from big leaguers, let alone a 17-year-old. Um, the amount of torque that he can put on a baseball is, I, I, I mean, it's, it's unheard of. Um, so let's just start with that. What he can do to a baseball is insane. Uh, you're talking about easy 70 raw power, um, and I think he'll be able to get into it in game. He's a fringe average runner. He is six foot three, 210 pounds. 
as a 17-year-old, and he plays a very good shortstop. Um, he has a... Yeah, he's super rangy, I yeah. thought, for somebody moves who's really well. a little on the bigger side. Moves really well. He's got a huge arm. His arm, I, I wrote this in his scouting report, the arm action and what he does to first base reminds me of Adrian Beltre. He's not the defender that Beltre is, but he's got the same type of arm. Ooh, which, by the way, if you want to read more about Brady House, you can read that. Uh, Joe has been running a series on some of the top MLB draft names for 2021. So that's on the site. Yeah, every Monday. Um, So, yeah, that's the shtick. I mean, 6'3", pushing 220, incredible athlete. Here's the thing about Brady House. He's never hit elite arms um and that goes back to he's never hit elite arms at showcase events i should say so coming up uh he's never hit 88 to 90 well when he was 15 and when he was 16 it was you know he never hit 90 to 92 well and now we're at 17u you know he's draft eligible he's seeing really advanced breaking balls and he's seeing 94 to 97 and he's not it's not that he's not catching up to the fastballs. He's just, he's guessing a little bit, which is an issue against this really advanced stuff. So I think when you're talking about Brady House, you're talking about a guy that has a very, very real chance of being a 30 hitter. Maybe I mean, maybe a 50 hitter at best. But what you probably want to take into account here is, I think the, the, com- the comparison made in the telecast was Matt Chapman, which I don't think is horrible. I, I don't think you're going to, have a generational uh, defender here, but if Brady House is a 240 hitter and he hits 35 home runs a year and he plays an above average third base, because he's going to be a third baseman at the next level, like you can't tell me he's going to be a shortstop personally. So a 235 hitter with 32 to 35 home runs and an above average defensive shortstop, that's still a, an easy first round talent. Now, is he a slam dunk, you know, best prep since Bryce Harper, you know, top five pick. I don't think so. I don't think he's going to go in the top, as it stands right now, if you ask me today. I don't think he's a top 10 pick, but whoever gets him is going to be getting some incredible clay to mold with their player development staff. I think that's that's a very interesting case on it. Um, and, you know, as you wrote in in your piece, uh, I think it's an interesting proposition of if he does slip a little bit relative to what the public appraisals are of where he ranks in the in the group of uh, potential draftees next year. You know, potentially he's there for a Mariners team that suddenly is picking a little closer to the middle of the pack. Um, I think relatedly we can roll not the that. middle. No, I mean not the middle of the pack. We're still in like position ten, even uh, yeah, as right. Well, yeah. no, yeah, I mean let's, the middle let's, ten, let's, the middle let's ten, let's more like clear. outside the top. We 10. don't know how things are going to go. I think it's pretty fair to say we are not in Kumar Rocker territory no. anymore, but we are like we're still within those first. You know when they do like MLB preview, like twenty twenty one draft previews on MLB.com, mm. like. We're the, still probably within that range. That's fair. Um, well, somewhere uh, somewhat related to that, we got a question from Alex Ledbetter fifteen at Alex Ledbetter fifteen on Twitter. Uh, now that the Mariners have a top tier farm system, 
Uh, is there any chance DePoto takes a risk on a higher ceiling guy as opposed to the typical safe college player we've all grown accustomed to? And Woo! if so... I love this question. Alex Ledbetter, I love this question. Yeah. Um, and then if so, who are some of the guys that we might consider that have that high ceiling? Um, so in particular, I would love to hear, you know, it can be guys who weren't at the show, at, at the um, PG All-American Classic, but uh, I would imagine some of the most impressive ones were there for uh, for you guys. So to give you like a quick overview on this class, um, last year's class for preps was very, uh, the college class I think was a little better than the high school it's class. really deep. Uh, yes, it was, especially for arms. Last year was the year to take a college arm, which is what the Mariners did. Um, this year, we are being gifted with a lot of really exciting prep infielders, which was not so much the case last year. There were a couple here and there. The ones who were there, I really liked. I really continue to like uh, Ed Howard and uh, Jordan Baker. Jordan Baker, did I? Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker. Thank you. Uh, they all blur together at this point. But this year we have a lot of really fun talent, specifically that's shortstop, which means it could be second base talent. It could be third base talent. Like you can kind of move it around based on what you're it's infield talent at the prep level. And that is super exciting. And I think also dovetails really nicely with sort of a weakness in the Seattle farm and you don't draft for need, blah, 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 etc. Um, but I think if they ignore based on where they might be picking, which they're going to be picking outside of like the super polished college arms, they're going to be picking outside of probably like the MLB ready type college guys who are at the top of the class, I think they're going to land in that, like where we start to see prep guys going, because I don't, I don't think that there's a super dominating name, at least at this point. And part of that is probably part of the pandemic and, and not being able to have these guys create a lot of separation among themselves. But I think that there's a really good possibility that this class, which is rich in some things that we lack, like namely there are a couple really good catchers in this class. There's some really good shortstop. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know if I believe that they will do this or not. They are, they've parted ways with their scouting director. I don't know if that's going to indicate a change or not in how the Mariners go about drafting. Uh, we know they like those safe, high-floor college picks. I would love to see them go differently this year. I think they can with their window because, like, even if you draft a high-upside or a, a high-floor college guy this year, he's not going to probably be ready in time for what you consider your competitive window. It is a great time to get a raw prep project. Please do it. Real, real quick. They, it was McNamara who who they parted ways with, right? Yeah, yes. he's more of a special advisor to Depoto, but Scott Hunter uh, remains. <laughs> Although McNamara had run the the through the twenty sixteen draft, yeah, right? he ran it through Zorenzik, and then they like promoted quote unquote him to special advisor, and yeah, okay, cool. Um, Joe, 
who who for you stands uh, up? Wait. Oh, Tom oh, Ellis sorry, was sorry. international. Never mind. Sorry. Gotcha. Well, yes, but but that was. I mean, there's been a ton of turnover in. Yes. It's, in that everything department. is. I mean, really, it's just they've. I don't want to say like they've cut the fat, but they've really just leaned it out. Frankie Thon is still there. Scott Hunter is still there, and Jerry Depoto is still there, as far as like scouting leadership goes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a much different. Uh, yeah. Much different setup. Yeah, I think no, I think Kate really hit the nail on the head i think there's only one prep in this class that i think right now looks like he's a top five pick and that's jordan lawler he's a shortstop um jordan lawler i would love jordan lawler he's yeah you can see the write-up that i wrote on lawler he's, we'll, ta- we'll talk he's about fantastic. him more later too mm-hmm. right yeah there's but there's a couple guys that are preps that kind of fall into that 8 to 15 range and I think it really starts with Marcelo Mayer and he's a shortstop 6'3 185 um, perfect game all-american classic was actually his first event that he like his first showcase event that he went to all summer because of COVID precautions he was trying to stay away from it but um, I just I kind of want to I'll write about him soon but when you're talking about uh, Marcelo Mayer, the immediate thing that stands out is he's really smooth. Like, he's really, really smooth. He's he's gonna garner Robinson Cano, Manny Machado comps like leading up to the draft because so much rhythm, everything is really controlled. He doesn't sell out for power right now. He really, he's a lefty. He really uses the left center field gap. Um, and he doesn't overextend himself on, on anything. He hit a fastball low and in really hard up the middle in the perfect game All-American Classic. And it just, it really reminded me of the way Robinson Cano would attack pitches low and in and just drive them through through the hole. So I think Marcelo Mayer, and he's, he should stick at shortstop. I think he's going to be the guy that you're going to want to watch for. And then uh, the two catchers that Kate was talking about, Ian Mahler uh, is... He's 6'1", 201. He's got plus power, above average hit tool. Should stay behind the plate. I would say it's it's likely, but... Uh, he won the gold glove at yeah. the um, Perfect Game All-American Classic. Like I think he is a, a plus defensive catcher, yeah. to, not, to my mind. And very good at like leading a staff, too. Has leadership qualities. He, he definitely has leadership qualities. Um and then the other one that I would point out, just because he's a very quick riser, is Harry Ford. He's another catcher. He's 5'10", 205. Um, he kind of reminds me of Edwin Encarnacion at the plate. He doesn't have any bat wrap whatsoever. Keeps the hands low. He's pretty much in a load position from the very, very get-go. Um, 60 power. He's a 60 runner, which you do not see ever from, uh, you know, from prep catchers. Uh, and I think the reason that he would really entice someone like Seattle is, you know, if, if the catching thing isn't working out, and he's or we got he's got a plus arm, uh, tons of mobility behind the plate, he can probably stick there. He could play center field. He could play left field. If the bat, if they believe in the bat, he's got enough athleticism to where him staying at catcher isn't necessarily, you know, huge. It's not the end all be all for his. I have value. to say, Harry Ford is the one who I saw him at the. Um, showcase and they were talking him up a lot like oh great guy great guy solid defensive catcher etc and I was like me because my heart belonged to Ian Mahler but I was super super impressed by Harry Ford at this um, 
event, I thought, like, specifically seeing him in a game event, which is, again, so different from just a showcase where it's just, like, it was a game, but it wasn't really a game. It wasn't a game in the same way that this was a game where each side was, like, intent on winning. Just the way he managed his pitchers, he he knew the right times to go out. He seemed to know the right things to say, the right adjustments to get them to meet. He does a lot of like nonverbal communication, which I'm huge on with catchers. Um, Ian Mahler does too, but I I was so impressed by his leadership qualities. And then also he's just he's got a lot of lateral mobility behind the plate. He's he's a good athlete. Like I am just I don't know what they do with catchers in Georgia, but they really grow them well down there. I've got a good story on on uh, Harry Ford. If you want to talk about a leader behind the plate and a guy that'll go to war for his pitchers, he was in a 16U showcase at Lake Point last year, and I've uh, talked to some folks. He got hit in the face with a 91 mile an hour fastball batting, and broke his nose in four places and was begging the coaching staff to let him go to first base and <laughs> and run. Uh, Love he, it. he had Love to get it. checked for a concussion and did not go back in the game, but that's just that's the kind of warrior that he is and uh, he's also a bit of a physical freak. He's got the second uh, second quickest barrel velo behind Benny in the class. So, uh, very very loud tools with Harry Ford. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about uh, a couple of the pitchers here. Um, so we got a question from Trevor Huth at Huth Trevor, uh, which I think is a very interesting one because it matches up high school pitching and some of the top college pitching here. Um, so a lot of the time, I think there's a rep for high school pitchers to be just a lot more volatile and a lot more at risk. And I think that's very reasonable. You know, there's just so much less you know. You haven't seen guys pitch more consistently. They aren't necessarily going against as consistent of uh, competition. But you're still ending up oftentimes with some of the best pitchers in the league as high school guys. So with that in mind, Trevor asks, let's get wild. With his pure stuff, how do you compare the ceiling of uh, right-handed pitcher Chase Petty to Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter. And I'll, I'll extend that even. Were there any other pitchers who really stood out to you as someone you would see in the top 10 there, uh, despite being, you know, high school pitcher? So Chase Petty, he's definitely been on first round radars for a while now. Uh, he definitely has better stuff, pure stuff. Than Jack Leiter. Uh, Chase Petty is 97 to 99. Um, he does it from a six foot high frame with an extremely low release point, um, and he throws 99. He throws one of the heaviest 99s I think I've ever seen. Um, it is a serious uh, running sinking fastball that, uh, admittedly, he he loses uh, from time to time when he gets a little bit deeper into 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 contests um wipeout slider it's a plus slider uh in the low 80s and then he th throws a 91 mile an hour changeup that tunnels exactly like his sinker with with just a ton of fade and tumble so um chase petty is you know he's got a 70 fastball he might have 260 offerings in the changeup and the slider um 
there's a lot of effort and violence in his delivery, but it's certainly cleaned up as the summer has gone on. Um, the thing that we haven't seen yet with Petty is we haven't seen him hold his command into like 60 pitches because they just don't give these kids the opportunity to go that deep. And in, in this event, he threw about 35 pitches and was really losing it around the command, not the velo. He was really losing it around that 25 pitch mark. So while I think you could make the argument that he has similar pure stuff as Kumar Rocker, um, Kumar Rocker has the track record of you know, he threw a perfect game. He threw 130 pitches and he threw a no hitter in the college world series. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. It's not, really, I, it's not really fair to either one of them to, to throw that out there right now. I don't want to call him out because I want to have him on a podcast at some point, but Orlando Rosso, R-A-Z-O, who was a Mariners prospect for a little while. He retired, um, now has a podcast of his own, which you can find if you go to his, Twitter page, I believe it's at Orazzo. I can double check that really quick. Um, but he um, sent me a DM the other day and said he thinks, oh yes, it is at Orazzo. Uh, he's really in on the Mariners rebuild. He thinks it's been done really well. Uh, really likes Cal Raleigh. His take is lighter is better than Kumar. I just Thoughts? like I've had this conversation so many times and I I don't even have Jack Lighter in my top three right now. I have him number five. Um, I think Jaden Hill and LSU is better than Jack Lighter. Here's the thing. Jack Lighter was a really good high school pitcher and he was a first round talent and he hasn't done anything. I remember his I remember his uh draft year and right. sadly having to cross him off because it seemed like his college commitment was too tough to break. And it was. I mean, he was offered four million bucks, uh, I think by the Yankees before the draft, and he turned it down. They drafted him anyways in like I don't know, it was like the seventeenth round or something like that, and he honored his commitment to go to Vanderbilt and he went to Vanderbilt. Here's the thing about Lighter. The fastball, he's only oh, so he's only got 15 college innings. First of all, he's thrown against Evansville, South Alabama, and Central Arkansas. So it's not like he's facing, you know, Miami every night or or Arkansas for that matter. Um, he's 90 to 92. Uh, he's he hit 94 one time this year. It's a good loopy curveball similar to that of Reed Detmers that he doesn't spot like Reed Detmers uh he's got a good cutter he's got a changeup that he threw eight times last year um he's I mean he's super polished he knows how to pitch backwards the the guy has a high ceiling but I can't in good faith put him above Kumar Rocker after 15 innings without the velo yeah, and that's fair he had eight walks against poor teams in 15 innings so do I which think, again though abbreviated season of course of course do I think Jack Leiter could be the number one pick absolutely if he's if he's 92 to 94 shoving 95s here and there definitely but I I just don't know how um the, the track record and the arsenal and everything that goes along with it at this stage could project better than Kumar Rocker, personally. Yeah. I mean, 
Orlando's argument, which I think is, and again, this is coming from a college pitcher who was a pro for a while, uh, is that Leiter throws his four pitches for strikes, and mm-hmm. Kumar has been throwing 95, but throws 60% of his pitches, these sliders, these nasty, horrible, no good, very bad, evil death sliders, Death Star Sliders, which is what I've been trying to get happening as a nickname for Justice Sheffield Slider. (laughs) The Death Star. Um, Against these little college dudes. That was his exact phrasing, little college dudes, which I think is fair. Um, So I guess the question that I kind of brought back to him is like, what matters more to you at this stage is seeing a guy who has like a lot of pitches and there's a lot of potential with these pitches and it's polished and you know, he knows how to mix them or like one dominating Death Star pitch plus another pretty good plus pitch. Yeah, I think with Lighter, it's it's so fully in the projection bucket right now that everyone's just waiting to see if he comes back in February and he's 92 to 95 and he's still got the secondary stuff. Because, I mean, I, I, I posted in his scouting report, if this kid comes back and he's 92, 93, 94, 95, then all of a sudden, you know, the fastball plays way up because it has good vertical movement and it really rides on hitters. And he can use that curveball and that cutter and that changeup way more effectively. But I just can't in good faith put a kid that's got 15 innings and throws 91 um, ahead of of someone like Kumar Rocker, especially when he had you know, eight walks in 15 innings against poor competition. But a lot of that does come down to the fact that Leiter has the entire arsenal. I mean, he has every pitch, and he's not afraid to throw any of them ever. I mean, I do kind of fall on the side of, like, just having, like, a Mariano Rivera-esque death pitch, you know, out just... Here it is. You absolutely cannot hit it. I'm going to throw it to you. You know it's coming. You're not going to be able to hit it anyway. Which, excitingly, is what Justice Sheffield's slider looks like when it's on. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Nick Nick Marjevicus, Nicky Marge, was uh, <laughs> interviewed the other day on the broadcast. And they asked him, if you could take a pitch out of any other Mariner starter's arsenal, what would you want? promptly no waiting he was like just a sheffield slider absolutely 100 percent. which would that we could all take justice sheffield slider just that yeah. easily but it's a very special pitch so i do feel like uh, a special pitch and then maybe the rest are just okay but the the truly double plus special pitch makes all the other pitches play up i think there's an argument to be seen in that even though i personally aesthetically more appreciate like somebody who can throw all the pitches pretty well yeah i i i like i'm very curious to see that develop but because i think there is a case to say like lighter as a transition point of like the modern pitcher who is going to be so heavily more like all of his breaking balls like lance mccullersing a bit but i you know, it's not as though it's a situation where, well, you have the guy with the fastball and you have the guy with the breaking ball. It's like, well, they both have disgusting both. Yeah. And, and they're just... both, I mean, they're both number one. Uh, I'm not even going to say that. They're both top five quality pitchers. I, they both have mid-rotation yeah. 
type stuff. It's just a matter of, honestly, it's just a matter of watching them pitch, and we don't get a watch this year, and, uh, you know, the Cape got canceled, so we just need more looks. Is it the time where we get to talk about Jordan Lawler yet? Please. Go. Hit me, hit me, I love Jordan Go Lawler. On. <laughs> that it that's my that's my contribution. I was not you guys were both really excited about him. I was really yes. more tunnel vision focused on Ian Mahler because I love a catcher. I love a catcher. And I specifically love a catcher with like uh kind of an active, engaged political conscience who knows what he wants to bring to the game as a black man and um just huge leadership qualities has done kind of all of the big showcase events, but doesn't seem to, I I just really like him. Very strong personality, great leader feels to me like a pure catcher. Um, Love, love the sound of the ball coming off of his bat. It's really exciting. Just a really exciting skill set, I think. Um, so I was very focused on him and was not maybe paying attention to Jordan Lawler until the showcase and the, the perfect game all American classic. And he is beautiful. Jordan Lawler's game is beautiful. Like he's beautiful to watch in the field. He's beautiful to watch hit. He might have the best hands in the class. Like he is, I love everything about him. I don't know if y'all read my scouting report on Jordan, but I had two scouting executives say that he reminds them of Derek Jeter with his hit tool and his defense and his leadership capabilities on the field. So I don't think that's a comp by any means, but to even be mentioned in the same breath as Derek Jeter, just with what Derek Jeter did for the game. He has that ineffable, like, I I think he's a better defender than Jeter. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what teenage Jeter looked like. Like, maybe he was that good, and he just lost range later. But I I think that Lawler has that ineffable, like, star quality. Like Taylor Trammell has. Um, I will say, just on Lawler, because he is someone who even though I didn't see him much this weekend, I have at least seen a good amount on him. I I think he really does stand out for how, you know, yeah, I think it's it's easy sometimes to just get into the, it looks really easy for him. And it's not that, like, that's wrong, but I'm not sure that always, like, sometimes that conveys what you're trying to say, and sometimes that's like, okay, but, like, what do you mean? And, and like, Lawler... It just doesn't look like he is out of control at any point, at least in in what I've seen from him, which is, you know, you think about being 17, 18, like even even his sort of like swings and misses are like, oh, okay, and then kind of step back in. I mean, it's really impressive, and and he has a good habit of meeting the ball out in front of the plate. Uh, which is a yeah, really yeah. That's a good point, John. It almost is like it reminds me very, very much of uh, the best player I've ever seen to adjust within an at bat, which is Jared Kelnick. Mm-hmm. Like Kelnick, I think is uh, when you talk about baseball IQ, just off the charts. Mm-hmm. He's really good at recognizing what a pitcher is trying to do to him. And taking a step back and being like, okay, you're trying to do that. So, you know, that chess match, which is maybe my favorite thing about baseball is the Mm -hmm. chess match between a really good hitter and a really good pitcher. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And you can see that in his at-bats already at this age. Mm. Damn, really thought Joe was going to pop in there with a, an opinion. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, with I, I'll just say with Lawler, um, if Seattle picks number two, like they might not have a shot at Lawler. I think the I think he's that good. Like I think there's a there's a decent likelihood he goes one one. Yeah, which, which I mean, says a lot with Kumar Rocker oof. on the board. I yeah, I mean that's that's not out of the question. I mean it, it's a challenge because it's just like. You're going to have what? You're probably going to have more college baseball than you will high school baseball next spring. Does that seem reasonable, or 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 would you guys go the opposite in terms of like con- consistency? Well, like there, I mean, you get college baseball pretty much every day, uh, starting in February, and high school baseball, like that showcase circuit, doesn't really kick back up until. Um, like the end of March, and really, it's just there's like three true showcase events that people get to stick out in. So um, sure, Waller's doing everything right right now to get himself in the number one, you know, talk. So yeah, and absolutely. To be fair, I think Kumar would have to have a like a pretty ordinary season, like a you know three five ERA and struggle with walks to open that door if he comes out and blows everyone away uh he'll probably go 1-1 but the chance i mean jordan lawler going 1-1 is a very very real thing right now yeah yeah i i think what what this is getting at for me and and i don't want to put words in either y'all's mouth but i I think that the depth of this class is because of what it already was which was a pretty deep class just looking ahead added to by a lot of people uh, defer, you know, getting an extra year of eligibility or going back because of the shortened draft this past year and, you know, the uh, number of players who got an extra year of eligibility. I mean, there's really going to be, you know, yes, it's exciting at the top, but also there's a long tail on, on impressive players uh, who, who, you know, Seattle can can add. So it, it that's something that perhaps is is over, you know, I'm overly confident in, but I f- it makes me feel better about if the Mariners are picking later, so be it. You know, that they're picking later because of productive performances from yeah, a lot the of the Yeah, the most young important guys. thing about picking later is the reason that they're picking later is a good reason i mean i don't know that beating up on texas and who knows like things could go we're recording this like they've just swept texas who are this could be the absolute high point objectively awful i mean texas is just absolutely fucked and it's uh, it's it's so true they're like five years away from being relevant john daniels has dug that hole so deep I they they are the very bad example of like not committing to one way or another. So yeah. like they didn't commit to the rebuild and sell off pieces, but they also didn't really commit to bringing a lot of stuff in. And John, I know you and I were like doubtful of how we we saw them projected ahead of the Mariners by a lot, like yeah. not just a little. I thought the the Rangers might be a little better mm-hmm. than the Mariners. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they were going to be like curb stomping them, which mm. was what 
a lot of the projections suggested mm-hmm. and yeah i mean the know. big the big thing they were running into was they were getting you could look at their roster and it looked like a roster with not too many horrific holes but just a lot not much impact yeah. beyond oh joey gallo like is the guy who suddenly has a 380 BABIP after running a 240 BABIP his entire career, which is what last year was. And, like, now he's back to bad BABIP and striking out a ton. And, you know, I mean, it's a short season. Like, it would probably even out, but, like... You have to pair Joey Gallo with someone who is regularly, like, on... Like, you have to compensate for the feast or famine of Joey Gallo Mm -hmm. with... Somebody who is like regularly pretty good. Are you and they telling just... me protecting Joey Gallo with Rugnit Odor is not <laughs> good enough? <laughs> well, it's not great, but it's, I think Man. that is that is actually. I mean, this is a little micro on the Rangers, but like the Rangers would be in such a great or in such a better position if they had JP Crawford hitting or you know hitting one or two spots ahead of Gallo, where it's like. J.P. Crawford's got like a what, like a ninety-five WRC plus or something. Like he's not offensively dominant, but he is walking like yeah, eleven, twelve percent of the time. He's really, getting on base really a ton. good eye. And so. yeah, is, so. like that that roster is so like Nick Solak is the only piece of that roster that I would be excited about if I was a Rangers fan. I would have moved Lance Lynn like yesterday. I would have probably moved Joey Gallo if you could have gotten a top 100 prospect that you liked out of him. Mm. I think Leody Tavares could be good, but he didn't really hit. Yeah. He didn't really hit in the minor leagues. So this Well, and he got jumped a, a fair bit, right? He was yep. 21, he was in high A. Yeah, they they were really aggressive with him mm. after 2018. They're missing Willie Calhoun, right? Yeah, right. but even he was terrible. No, he's been bad, but like this was going to be like a chance for him to like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was still young. Like it would have been a chance for him to sort so, of. So I mean, there's a little a bit. bit of bad luck, but there's also just a lot of not accepting the fact. Even if you want to put Calhoun or you want to put Tavares as like untouchable, like there's just a lot of not accepting the reality that is before yeah. you, which is like the Angels went out and did what they did, and even though they didn't do enough, yeah. uh, they did not get any pitching. No. Uh, they did enough to leapfrog themselves ahead of you. So yeah. just take your lumps and, the and Angels, start over yeah. again. The Angels, like, for as much as we rag on the Angels, and we do it plenty, like, the Angels built a plausible wildcard contender. Yes. That was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and they did so by, like, investing big. Um, and part of I that feel was, like you there know, was the, far too much credence given to both of those teams by both yes. projection systems and <laughs> analysts, though. Right. That was summarily not given to the Mariners, despite right. the fact that, like, they were going to have Kyle Lewis starting mm. every day. And, mm. like, maybe Kyle Lewis was good. And Kyle Lewis has proven to be, in fact, very good. Mm. So yeah. that alone, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, it's... Yeah. I will say, I was very nervous, and I can't remember if, if we actually talked about this. I, I meant to sort of chat about this with you guys, but uh, we can do that now. I was really getting nervous, actually, at the you know as the trade deadline was coming down, and the Angels and the Rangers were sort of <laughs> sinking into the morass, um, that both those clubs, you know, they had... You you mentioned Lance Lynn, Joe, uh, even Gallo, and then like for for the Angels, I mean Dylan Bundy, um, 
you know, a number of pieces where it's like, if they want to sell, they can sell pretty well. You know, you can trade Antonio Simmons, who's not a huge return. You can trade, you know, some of these guys and retool around. I mean, Texas can't retool around much, but like, there's a solid enough core of young guys there potentially that you can absolutely either if you're Texas build suddenly you know a system that kind of looks like where Seattle was prior to 2019 you know and you can if you're uh you know Anaheim you can add probably another top 100 guy um you know, depending on where you're moving that and, and sort of set yourself up much more for a sustained run. Um, and neither team did that. And and to their credit, I mean, they're trying, but I don't know what Texas is trying to do. And I know what Anaheim is trying to do. And I think they're just somehow fucking it up super badly. But uh, that, that actually really made me concerned about the Mariners of like, well, the whole thing was, okay, we're not going to be lined up with Houston anymore we're going to be ascending as some of these clubs are descending um and i think they're in a much better place now uh because both those clubs stood pat okay let's uh let's let's finish sorry john i yes i agree i was afraid that they were going to sell they should have sold i think the angels definitely should have sold they sold tommy listella like why are you going to go a little bit of the way and not go all the way? So they didn't sell everything that wasn't nailed down. The Rangers didn't sell anything, including Gallo. And maybe they were going to get pennies on the dollar for him because he's not been good. So. They got Mike Miner out of there. Well, I don't know what, you know, yeah, the immense Todd, return Todd of Frazier's, Mike Miner and Todd, Todd Frazier. Back in the Browns. And Chirinos, mm. right? Was that the same trade? I don't, I, that, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So desperate for pitching. I can't believe they didn't at least sell off parts of their bullpen. So. I yes, I am very happy for neither of them to have taken advantage of that, and for the Mariners to have done so. Yeah. Huzzah! Yeah, extremely. Um, okay, well let's let's finish up with just a couple uh, a couple sort of uh, general questions we got here. Uh, unless there's anyone else you guys really want to hit on, uh, I know I'm looking forward to reading that full write up. Uh, of the of the All American Classic, uh, is there anyone else you guys want to hit on before we go? I'll uh, I'll hit on just a couple guys that I think uh, really raised their stock because, um, you know, like Maddox Bruns uh, two two months ago had a really big PG National event, for example, and ended up number one on the entire Baseball America prep side, and he had what can only be described as a truly awful perfect game all-american uh classic uh his velo was down four miles an hour he couldn't throw strikes he gave up like five runs in one inning probably through 50 pitches it was really bad but anyways a couple guys uh really popped that i think should get a little bit more attention um the first is alex mooney who is a shortstop as well uh i have him right now as just barely right in that first round category on base five times against the best arms in the country he had a triple he had two singles he had a walk and he had a strikeout that he was able to get on base stole two bases turned in a beautiful double play 
Um, so I think he's, he, I probably don't think Alex Mooney is a top 10 or top 12 pick. Uh, so maybe not in that category, but if he slips into the second round into that like 50 category. Yeah, I agree. I was really impressed. That's like, that's like Joe Rizzo all over again, except sure. way more athleticism and the ability to stick up the middle. So keep an eye on him at like 50 for the Mariners. And then the other two that I want to bring up, Carter Holton is a lefty that was 95-96 with a plus changeup. Uh, gave up one base hit, but he struck out um, Mark McGuire's son, Max McGuire. He struck out Ian Mahler, and he gave uh, uh, he got a pop-up to center. So if you're a lefty throwing 95-96, you're going to get a ton of press. And then the last one that I will point out, uh, where is he? Oh, our local boy, Malachi Knight. Uh, only played five innings, but made a beautiful sprinting catch in right field. Hit the ball really, really hard twice um, in his three at-bats. Uh, I think Malachi is kind of playing himself into top 50 consideration. He's definitely another guy to watch out for. Uh, lots of time between now and the draft, but he's a guy to watch out for in the second round for Seattle as well. That sounds, I mean, that sounds like a really interesting potential, like, Mariners go their typical, like, college guy, you know, who makes sense at the level and then splurge a little bit maybe in the second round kind of thing if, yeah. if they can swing it. That, I think that, that's, and, and you might even get, I, I don't want to say a discount, but him being local, you might save a little bit. You might maybe save a hundred. Or at least build some, build some relationship yeah. to have yeah, him say, go. like, oh, I've got a good offer from someone. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're talking local boys. I guess we should talk about Max DeBeck, who is a pitcher, and he's 6'7". He goes to O'Day. Um, he showed – he was probably the big star at the showcases because he came out kind of out of having been throwing low 90s, throwing, like, upper 90s, uh, mid to upper. He was not as good in this – event uh maybe some nerves maybe some layoff issues just had some control issues had some wild pitches um but he's got a really good heavy fastball with a lot of life on it um again he's six seven so he's coming out of like a really difficult arm slot for guys um and he's got like kind of lefty he's a lefty right Debeck, I think he's a lefty. Sorry, no, Debeck's a Debeck's a big righty. He's a yes, he's a righty. Um, he's got like extreme Logan Gilbert vibes to me, and just like the length, even though Gilbert is shorter than that, uh, just the way his like levers all work together. So he's definitely one to watch. Whether he goes to us or not, he's our him and Malachi Knight are kind of our local pride to claim for this this upcoming draft class kind of like Corbin Carroll was last year so uh keep an eye on those guys all right uh so our our housekeeping questions as it were we got uh a couple here that I, I want to touch on should be pretty quick uh Darren Harvey at Harvey Darren 26 on Twitter asks how is Julio Rodriguez doing fully recovered um and I don't actually know do either of you have any latest info on this 
Yeah, as of last week, he had just gotten the cast off. He's now in a more of a wrist splint. Not swinging the bat yet, but he is running around doing baseball activities, catching fly balls, doing things like that. But uh, not swinging a bat. Um, so and pop, he and no. Taylor Trammell are really good friends. They know each other from the Arizona Fall League. Mm, so that's right. Uh, just a little little interesting note that uh, Trammell comes into the organization already having a pre-established good friend. Um, let's see. Uh, another question we have uh, from Brian uh, at a player to be named later uh, with MLB taking over. MILB, uh, which is a pretty significant storyline. Horrible. That, Potentially yeah, horrible for us if they start controlling um, MILB con- credentialing. Like, mm-hmm. if it's tougher for us to get into Everett and Tacoma, that's mm-hmm. going to be well, really and, bad news for us. And they've already sort of shut down, like, video from games significantly yeah. and, and whatnot. Looking so. like they're very much trying to kind of tighten that control yeah. over the product, which sucks. I mean, to me, it sucks less if they're willing to pay their players. Right. Like, if you're willing to pay them, yeah. that's fine. But uh, otherwise, don't deny them opportunities to other ways of, like, raising their profiles you know yeah well and and don't deny the accessibility to the sport at the sort of higher levels for people which is a big part of what minor league baseball allows since um you know unless you live within three hours of you know some major major cities minor league baseball is kind of what you got uh with MLB taking over MILB are the Mariners at risk of losing any of their minor league affiliates uh so we don't know for sure what like the on the block 40 to 42 teams are um as of the latest negotiations however if i'm not mistaken the west virginia power were the uh and and really most of the uh south atlantic league was in danger of being uh pushed into independence quote unquote um, yes yeah, so that's that the one that's be... on the ch- that was most recently on the chopping block. We also um, wouldn't lose the Everett Aquasox, but they're talking about making the Northwest League a full year and maybe splitting it. So a yeah. full year, uh, but splitting it between the Arizona Complex and the Northwest League, which I don't totally understand because it's too cold. Like, right? It's too cold to play in April in Everett. Um, yeah, it that would be, would be unpleasant for everyone. So uh, that's that's one idea that's on the table. Again, mm. none of these things have been ironed out. Yeah. Um, another component for that is that yeah, the essentially the Northwest League draws very well relative to its size. So I think most of the teams that you'd be familiar with would still exist in theory, but there wouldn't necessarily. Either affiliations might change or levels would certainly change. And probably, I mean, if MLB fully takes over MILB, there is very little that would hold together the old, you know, leagues. So the Pacific Coast League, the Texas League, the, you know, Eastern League, the 
Cal League, I mean, some of them make sense geographically in a significant way, uh, so they might not be adjusted. But really, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine MLB wouldn't just slice and dice it and just say, well, this is what you are now. Oh, this is what you are now, because that makes sense to them for some for, for whatever reason. Or it makes sense to an individual organization wanting something more convenient. I think you should probably expect there's going to be a pretty massive reorganization. Like, don't get comfortable with having the Arkansas Travelers as the AA team. Don't be surprised mm -hmm. if uh, Everett is now the high A team. I, Tacoma will probably stay the AAA team, but there's going to be massive sweeping changes in, in terms of minor league affiliations. So, Yeah. It's uh, there's going to be a lot, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I mean, some of it can be can be positive, and and hopefully there will be player development positives out of it. But yeah, I think the the trust level is low uh, with MLB making sort of savvy decisions for the average average fan or. Uh, play you know minor league player as opposed to uh, sort of a, a narrower focus on on what to prioritize so um let's see we got uh oh wait there's one thing oh. i want to say really quickly um yep. we've been talking about the perfect game all-american classic mm -hmm. which you can watch for free um it was live streamed on perfect games personal like channel but generally, they put it up on YouTube a few weeks after the fact, so you can probably find it there. Just Google Perfect Game All-American Classic. They also have their own channel, perfectgame.tv, um, where they run kind of constant programming. It will rerun on that. The reason I'm pushing it so hard is this year they had Clinton Yates doing yes. On the Call, and he was fan fucking tastic yes like i i sent this to i tweeted this to him but i was like mlb if they're serious about growing the game like need to put you on sunday night baseball because uh what a fucking just museum of old baseball voices most baseball broadcasts are and you know he he blended like a ton of deep cut baseball knowledge along with like appreciating the guy's swags and telling personal stories about them and it was just maybe one of the better baseball broadcasts I've listened to in a long time and generally whenever you deal with prospect people they're they are people who will never be accused of not loving the game because if you love prospects mm -hmm. you love baseball so it's always pretty good but Yates just added something really special to it so I encourage you all to seek out the broadcast. All right. Well, let's finish with this question from Nick Fielden at NickelFLDN on Twitter. Uh, is being better than the Yankees, thus giving them a better draft pick, the new trade all the people to New York for M's fandom? I have no idea how to answer that. <laughs> I have so many emotions. Um, I don't know. I mean, if we were to make the playoffs and the Yankees were to make the playoffs, that'd just be the biggest suck it moment ever. Oh my God. If the Mariners could somehow keep either the Yankees or the Astros or both out of the playoffs, I feel like even if you think these playoffs are cheap or their bid came cheaply, like 
We would be the heroes of baseball, would we not? I don't Absolutely. care if the commissioner, like, out of sympathy puts us in the playoffs. I'm celebrating. I do not care <laughs> how the narrative rolls. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I do subscribe to a degree to the, like, it feels a little bit less, like, fully satisfying as opposed to, like, you finally push through and, like, win the division or something. But, like... I'm not going to say it doesn't mean anything, and I certainly would not would not say anything if it comes at the expense, inexplicably, of the Yankees, fresh off signing Garrett Cole, fresh off like not you know calling themselves what what was it was it the last year that they were a fully operational Death Star like. People gotta stop saying that, or at least watch the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, also, savages in the box. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> on the one hand, like, I love that the Yankees have properly leaned back because the Yankees were like kind of getting like, I kind of like you a little bit for like a few years, and now it's very much you are satisfying to root against again, like. Even if I like some of the individual players, it is still like as an organization, I'm very satisfied to like, uh, I, I. The Yankees are playing. Let me see who I'm rooting for today. Like, yeah, so yep. that I would absolutely uh, celebrate with without uh, reservation, uh, and not sweat the you know giving the Yankees a, a slightly higher draft pick. They can they can work with the uh, you know fifteenth pick or whatever. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in uh it feels good to be back talking about prospects uh thank you kate and joe for or you just being back period well yeah i, I mean yeah, good I was, grief I the oregon trail <laughs> i cannot recommend uh moving cross country during the pandemic uh or any pandemic and i especially can't recommend doing it uh twice or doing it the second time while changing cars midway through so uh Feeling very good to be back in Seattle um, and really excited to uh, watch some some West Coast baseball and uh, hopefully hopefully see some minor league baseball at some point this winter or, or next spring. Um, maybe, you know, weird, funky Arizona Fall League plus a vaccine, you know? what is that so much to ask for? I don't think so. So uh, thank you, Kate. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, listeners. Uh-huh. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Esto es para la locura.